Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Multifamily Podcast. Today, you're listening to the first episode from NAA Apartmentalize, where I sat down with Travis Block and Katie Kane. In this episode, you're going to hear about why they're so excited about multifamily, the power of brand, and some of the emerging trends that they're both excited about, both in their organizations, as well as at scale as they look across the industry, both at operators as well as vendors. This is a fun conversation, and I feel very lucky to know Travis and Katie. I hope you enjoy. Let's Let's get into it. All right, we're coming to you live from NAA Apartmentalize. Travis and Katie, happy to have you guys here. Thanks. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Let's kick off really quick. Most people know who you are, I'm sure, just based on social and how small this industry is. But maybe, Katie, start with you, just who you are, how you found the industry. I am Katie Kane. I'm with Hills Properties. Uh, I have been with Hills for almost 11 years now. Um, and it was one of those things where my sister-in-law was in the industry and then I just kind of followed suit and like I said, been with Hills ever since. What about you, Travis? Yeah. So I am obviously Travis, uh, Vice President of Marketing and Branding at Golobin Company. Um, and I, I'm kind of weirdly passionate about this industry. Started as a groundskeeper, made my way through every on-site role and kind of found my niche in marketing and excelled. So 10 plus years for each of you in this space started you know, close to the property, whether that was groundskeeper or leasing consultant. Katie, maybe starting with you, when was the first time that you found yourself interacting with, you know, your technology partners at Hills? So when I started at leasing, um, like the normal business manager, property manager, like that was never my path. Um, I would have gone lease up to lease up as a leasing consultant my entire career if I hadn't moved into a marketing role. So that was always any time I had the opportunity to kind of get in there and kind of share my opinion or kind of help working with. So, I mean, as a leasing consultant, we didn't even have Facebook when I started. So just being vocal and active and trying to get those kind of implementations is, I think, where my passion came from. And Travis, like a little bit of a different side of the property, starting as a groundskeeper, when did you first get or, or become interested in interacting with the technology vendor partner side of, of the ecosystem? Yeah. I mean, honestly, my first interaction was when I was a leasing agent and interacting with the CRM, right? And and kind of diving further into it and seeing how the inner workings of just the, the customer management piece was working and quite frankly, how archaic it was at the time. And granted, this was, you know, paper guest cards, 2015, 2014. But that was kind of my first interaction with it. And I think from there, it spiraled this this interest for me to kind of dive further in and, and progress our industry and have this passion to do better and take things outside of the industry. So curious, like really open-ended for both of you, uh, walking into NA Apartmentalize this year, senior level members of your organizations, very plugged in with you know your companies, your future and current partners. Is there anything that you're most excited about for a conference like this in terms of things you want to get out or things you want to even put in to the conference? For me, it's getting to connect with industry industry vendors, partners, and really kind of enhancing our, our marketing stack. You know, I'm at Colobin Company and we're we're really at this this point where we're trying to streamline our stack. We're trying to progress forward. And for me, this conference is a great connection to to meet with new people, to meet with with industry partners and veterans that can help me excel. Um, because obviously it's not just me. It's not just me and my team. It's everyone that's at this conference that can help push us forward. And Katie, I know your calendar is stacked. I think I got a sneak peek of it last night. But what are what are you most excited <laughs> about or looking forward to over the next few days? Uh, I really want to see if I could find other people with a customer experience title. I think that this is the group of people that you can find the kind of diversity. 
Uh, and then I want to kind of just pick their brain and build like our own little circle of you know, mentorships and uh, give ourselves somebody to reach out to. Because like, I think most people that have the title didn't have anyone that they followed in those footsteps. So we're just kind of like building it on our own and having a support system would be something that'd be really great to bring home from here. Are you, are either of you seeing parallels or like almost learning opportunities as you sit down with vendors where our businesses are different? You know, we're obviously working to you business to business. You're then cascading that business to resident, but are you seeing parallels in terms of ways you can learn from vendor partners or ways that they can learn from you to kind of tighten up those relationships? Oh, hands down. Always. I mean, every time I'm sitting down having coffee or, or a drink with someone, we're just chatting about the customer experience, the brand experience, and even taking from their ideas and talking about other brands. There's so much to learn from. And Katie, man- manager of customer experience, customer experience creator, you're seeing a lot of those those types of titles on my side of the house. Lots of people mm-hmm. thinking about customer experience. Have you been able to glean anything from your vendor partners in terms of how they're thinking about it internally so that you can kind of expedite the pace at which you build it out for Hills? Yeah. One of the things that I think I've really noticed is just asking more questions because everyone's product is phenomenal, but there's always room for improvement. And so just going in and asking what could make this better? How would it be easier? What are you using that doesn't work for you? Finding those pain points and like fixing them is one of those things where it's going to be easy to implement across the board, whether it's B2B or b to resident. Yeah. Yeah. B to R. Yeah. 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 We, we always say B2B, B2C because we kind of feel like we're both because we have products that impact both sides. But I almost wonder if someone should like coin B2R or like come up with like a well, specific. <laughs> uh, when I teach our training sales course, it's H to H. So human to human. I love that. Yeah. 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 At our core, all, everyone just wants to be treated like a human. You want you to know that your needs and wants are being heard and met. And I think even in this industry, both sides, we're so relationship driven, right? Like you're one, we're selling a lifestyle, we're selling experience in, in your home, which is, is such an emotional buy. But even when you're talking to a vendor partner or talking to someone about our tech stack, another emotional buy because it's affecting so many different people. Do either of you follow or, or do you know the name Dave Gearhart on LinkedIn? I don't know. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> so he used to be the CMO, like head of marketing for Drift company yeah, uh, that's doing yeah. all sorts of like automation, chat, chatbot space, now video, all sorts of cool tech. And he has a couple cool books he's written on himself on his own. And he's recently gone solo. Like now he's just like a community person who runs a big marketing community. And he talks about that a lot. Like no matter if you're B2B or B2C, we're all selling to humans. And so his like encouragement back to the marketer is make sure it passes the experience test before you push it to whoever your audience is. If it doesn't read like good copywriting in your ads or in my ads, we probably shouldn't ship them. And I think there's a lot to be said about like, does it pass the test experientially? So anyways, I just think it's interesting. I think there's a lot we can learn from marketers like that at scale that are doing what we're doing only in a, in a bigger, you know, pool, if you will. Well, and even, I think even taking from it too and enhancing it on our side, because we are somewhat of a niche industry, but there's so many other industries we can take from, bring it in and enhance, which we just don't see often. One of the things that feels good to me and like this NA feels like very, very exciting just based on all the people that are here the expo is going to be very overwhelming for all of us Thursday and Friday. It's incredibly Absolutely. massive, <laughs> it, but it feels like to me in the set in the short, but fast seven years I've been in the industry that the balance between the client side and the technology side is really evened out. 
I feel like we both just rode the pandemic wave together and we solved for a lot in a very short amount of time. Many customers did not have the ability to handle a remote environment or a self-guided or virtual tour environment. And it was really neat. Even though those aren't technologies that we offer, it was cool to see that balance, like really quickly find a better harmony. But I'm curious if that's something that you see too, in terms of the balance in your careers, almost being more like we're at the same table accomplishing and tackling the same challenges, no matter where we sit in the industry. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't think people, many people say like, luckily for the pandemic, but <laughs> yeah. let's be honest, it, it catapulted our industry to catch up to where we needed to be. And it lets our clients, our prospects rent the way they want to find their own customer journey. And whether that's coming in and touring in person or doing it virtually, or, you know, a zoom meeting where you're walking them through digitally, like, it just got us where we were, we were, where we should have been, honestly. Years ago. Yeah. 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 I, I think not even just our side, but even the vendor side, like we saw so many new people enter the space that were capitalizing on opportunity that there wasn't a need for previously. Our industry didn't really kind of shine a light on it or they really, they weren't open to it. So it's exciting to see, honestly, both sides growing, right? Our customer experience is growing. I think there's more and more companies coming into the vendor side that are enhancing our experience that we get to pull from and partner with. So that's kind of been the exciting thing for me throughout COVID. I mean, horrible, but it's still like the the effect it's had on multifamily on both sides has actually been really exciting. I think the key word that you said there is open to it. Yeah. So many people are open to so much more now because we have to be adaptable. Exactly. We have to be because if we're not, we're we're not going to be, our consumers aren't going to want to live there. Absolutely. So I'm curious, like, as you think through any of the things that you're excited about or, you know, internal things you want to solve for a new technology or a new thing that you really feel like you need to put in place because you've heard good feedback about it from residents, prospects, comps, whatever. How do you even start to make that exploration process? Like there's LinkedIn, which really creates a kind of understanding of who's vocal and who's active within our space. There's conferences, there's Google, which I would say is sort of helpful in multifamily. <laughs> we don't have a G2. Like we don't have yep. an enterprise index of the best prop tech companies. So you can know the six people you should look at if lead nurturing matters to you. Really open-ended, but like where do you start to make sure that you're going about it in an informed but thoughtful way? I'm a LinkedIn geek. I mean, I heavily utilize LinkedIn to build partnerships, to to kind of sort out who who would fit within our business model and who understands our business model. Um, I think there's often so many times that we have vendor partners that reach out that have never researched my company, that have, don't understand my day-to-day, and they're reaching out with products that make absolutely no sense. And I think LinkedIn has been a really great tool to help kind of vet and, and narrow that pull down to people that actually want to interact with me, understand our business, understand our company, et cetera. Anything different or similar for you, Katie? Uh, I'm like a personal based. Uh, I made the conference circuit this year. I started <laughs> at Social Media Summit, then at AIM, now here. And I can't tell you how many people I met on a personal level before I even knew who they worked for or what their product was and how long it took them to even like pitch their product because they just spent the time getting to know me. Yeah. And it filled a need that I didn't know I had because they took the time to like meet me on a human to human level before they sold their product to me. Sure. I'm going to give it a second for these guys to pass. Um and I want to ask a follow-up question on that. And it's an idea. And I hope one of you are excited about it. Because if you are, <laughs> I'm going to be pumped. So uh, That's and, super fair, though. Yeah. I, I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. And I think I, I almost like, I think I forgot about it. Because it was two, three years that we didn't go to these conferences. And then 
at AIM, there was actually a lot of like good connections that I made. One of them being Rent Dynamics. One of them being Chris. Like ended up being like I I love this team. Yeah. Genuine. Like users, good people. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting to me because I I and don't take this the wrong way if you're listening and you're not doing the things that I'm going to talk about, <laughs> like Moshe Crane who just walked by. <laughs> but I, I will say that there is a modern buyer now in in our industry that's emerging, and you're both in that category. You make it really easy for a company to sell to you. Yeah. Because you talk about what you're challenged with, what you're thinking about, and you put it all out there. You're on LinkedIn, you're at conferences, you're on center stage, you're engaging with Jessica from Nurture Boss. <laughs> and it makes it really easy for me to know when it's a good time to reach out versus when I should just shut up and let you do your thing because you're clearly not focused on X, Y, or Z. Yeah. But my idea is that someone on your side of the industry, because it can't be mine because we're all biased. We right. Are. Right. We are. Uh, I'd like to say I'm not, but I am. I I, I am. <laughs> it would be really cool as a side hustle for someone to create whatever it is. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's a cool website, but it's a hundred, maybe it's 200 five minute conversations with every vendor where you put out your perspective on who stack ranks and who they're a good fit for so that someone on your side could go engage with that filter by unit count, style of leasing, size of portfolio, whatever the thing might be, and then find their top five. So are we thinking about, you know, that that kid on YouTube that unboxes toys and like all the kids love him <laughs> what is and his can't name? wait to like see Like Dylan's toys or yeah. something. <laughs> and they can't wait to see him. What if we did that for multifamily though, right? Like what if we just kind of had these five minute conversations and chatted like, personally like this is what this product does this is how it enhances our day-to-day that actually would be really interesting and then to do it from a term like you said portfolio size yeah yeah so both of us are in smaller companies right now but you had experience where you had you know and i think what's so interesting and what i learned coming from waterton twenty-eight thousand units national footprint totally different experience on the vendor side and even just the partnerships coming to someone who only has 4,000 units in one market currently. Um, it's almost like even like the level of attention you get is just so drastically different that I've had to work a little bit harder on my side to create these partnerships. Absolutely. Which it, it's kind of sad, unfortunately, you know, like... When you're a smaller player in the game? Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you're kind of like, especially I think we both talked about this, like we're small teams. We don't have super, super built out operation platforms and we don't have support, like a ton of support services. We rely on our partners to be an extension of our team. And I will say, you know, at my previous company, we didn't really have to have that, right? I just kind of needed your product. And I have this built out team that could help train and and execute and, and push it forward. I don't have that anymore. So I have to be really strategic on who I pick and who's going to come into our circle and and kind of enhance us. Can I reverse the roles and ask you a question? Yeah, yeah please. So uh, how often do you guys feel like, is it more time consuming, annoying when you have smaller companies that don't have the resources to like implement without the excessive help and training from you as a vendor? It's it's a great question. And I, I think about this a lot. And I think this is where my idea, I think has like real like legs that could could like find traction because... In our business, like I tell a lot of our customers and our future customers, I think we're built for the mid-market. Like I think we're built for the 2,500 unit to maybe the 20,000 unit operator because our business is obsessed with making sure that we get you to product adoption. We have tons of training built in. We have many big customers that are north of 35,000 units as well that have internal trainers. So we do train the trainer versus train the team. But I, I would say that 
it really depends on the the business itself. Like in our business, the answer would be no. We don't think that's annoying. We think that's amazing. We think it makes us a sticky partner. And our belief is that the stickier we can get, the harder it is to uncouple rent dynamics, which is good. But I would say there are a lot of companies that have said, hey, investing in overhead like training or content marketing is expensive. So we're going to say we have a minimum. We only work with companies that are bigger than 10 or 15,000 mm-hmm. units because they're going to have infrastructure like Travis is used to in a past life. Yeah. But I think that's where to me, like if you could build out an, an ability to say that, you know, of the six core CRMs in the industry, these three are great if you're this shape and size. And this is why. Mm-hmm. But go talk to all three. Because they're, they're very different. And I just think that's the same thing with the marketing side of the industry, with the operations side of the industry. Because if you asked everyone that question, you'd get wildly different answers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, depending on unit count, depending on your business model, do you do new construction? Do you do value add? Like, it, it totally changes how these partnerships interact with you. When I even think about like the nuances in like conventional versus student. Oh, yeah. Like, we love student housing. But if you lease an operator on the bed level, we're not a good partner. Yeah, But if you lease an operator on the unit level, we can kill it for you. <laughs> and so it's like, that's how we run discovery to make sure that if we can find that up front, we won't even reach out if we're not a good fit. Do you know anything thought we could like, what would also be exciting about this too, is understanding what to take from student housing, what to take from affordable housing that we're not looking in conventional or new development. Because I feel like there's such a disconnect between these different sectors within multifamily <laughs> that you sometimes don't understand, right? Like you sometimes don't understand like, wow, like look at like, especially in marketing, like, some of the stuff they're doing in student housing, I'm like, why aren't we doing that? Like, that is so engaging and interactive with with our, our prospective residents. And we're so far away from that. So, and they've been doing it for years. So, it's so interesting that I think we could look at these other sectors within our own industry. And, and pull from. we're owner-operators. So, to me, third-party management is a completely different world that yeah. I wouldn't even know how to function in right now because I've never had to do it. Yep. So, you know, I was having a conversation the other day about how we build brand loyalty and our residents stay at our properties regardless of what city they're at. But somebody who's a third party manager, that doesn't work for them because they want brand with that property, not with the company. I think brand becomes like a whole nother conversation. (laughs) And what I think is super funny, like I actually took over three communities from her portfolio and exactly what she said hills had such a loyal resident base that like we ran into challenges coming in as this new operator because they wanted hills back like i genuinely have never seen that before um and I we work really hard at it <laughs> yeah no and I, I think it's a really unique approach because when you know when fee management takes over from fee management you don't see like oh my god like where did you know xyz go but when operator from operator kind of transitions it's that brand loyalty is hard to lose and and you have built such a strong brand equity that it's really hard to transition. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, we, it was tough to lose those properties too on our end. I will say that. Um, I'm just glad that some of our our team got to stay and kind of help ease that transition. Yeah. So I think that helped. But and they killed it. Did you get a chance to meet Kainoa Clark at the AIM conference by chance? I don't think so. So he's the CMO of the Wasatch Group. He was on the panel that we moderated together yeah. at uh, AIM. And one of the quotes he said during our session was that experience creates belief and belief influences action. Yes. And I think that's such a powerhouse example of that. Like the yep. things you're doing that are probably small but big, obviously in scale, to the point where Waterton hears that we want hills back. Like, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And like tiny, tiny things. That's so true. Like it wasn't like anything large. Like they were coming in with champagne every morning for the residents. Like... It was really small customer service gestures that really made a large difference. 
That's cool. One last question, like topic, if you will, uh, before we wrap up today is getting value out of conferences. I'm really interested in that topic because they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's 10,500 plus people here. So like for you, how do you filter through that noise to get to value? I think it's easier at these like niche events, like social media summit aim that are topical, but for a big one like this or a small one, any advice for the audience or things you do to make sure that you maximize your time, you know, bring back some sort of return for your team. Cause obviously this is expensive, yeah. open-ended, but I think it's pretty interesting. I always come in with a game plan, right? Like understanding specifically what I want to enhance. Cause I'm coming to these because I'm, I, I want to learn one, but I also want to bring back that information or, honestly, anything that can help us push our company forward. Um, so for me, it's having a game plan, putting it in on, almost on paper and kind of scheduling everything out. And push your comfort zone. Yeah, I will tell you, AIM in October, I was a completely different person than I was at AIM in March because that first AIM took me out of my comfort zone. And I had a mentor there that had worked with Hills previously and was with another company. But had I not found her, I would have been in my room every night. I wouldn't have like made the connections that I made that completely changed the course of my career. I love that. It, it is crazy. And it's cool to me to hear you both say that because I do think that's one of the like really like soft, but like important aspects of this industry is how much we both need each other in order <laughs> yeah. to advance. And I'd say that to me, same thing, like the more I've invested in almost uncomfortable human connection, yep. like putting out my hand for like a handshake when I don't know that person, seeing it turn into like a fruitful friendship, let alone business partnership, great things do happen. And I think there's a lot of us that are really probably making a unspoken commitment to being in the, in the industry for a long time. Yeah, And I have to think that in 10 years, it's going to be wild to look back and oh. like, look where we were, look where we are. Pretty cool. As it continues to grow too, like every year, these conferences are getting bigger and bigger. New vendors are coming in, new multifamily companies are coming in. Like, where are we going to be in three years? Like three this, years, right? <laughs> Not even yeah, 10. I can't even like, think of 10. Yeah. It's too big. Like I'm already seeing like, it's, you know, apartments.com co-star has their own commercial during the Super Bowl. Yeah. Like I, and I've been in the industry for almost 12 years and I've never seen that. Like, so to see this progression is actually really exciting, I think. I think the industry has taken a turn where like leasing consultants don't just unlock a door and like yes. sell four walls, a door and a toilet. Like yeah. because we're selling this lifestyle, yeah. like all of it has just been so, so impactful. And, and how many times have you like told someone what you do and they, they previously <laughs> had no clue what it was, right? Like they think you just like managed like a condo association or something. It's so funny. My title is customer experience and training manager. So people <laughs> still don't know what I do. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I will say I have noticed more and more people are understanding what we do now, what our industry is, and it's becoming more, you know, mainstream. What I also think, like even looking tonight, the welcome reception, they have maintenance mania and yeah. we're going to be celebrating how important this like, you know, unsung hero in our spaces, which is the maintenance staff. And that's yep. a huge part of NAA. I think that's going to be one of the near term things that changes is internally in your organizations, certain roles probably elevating in terms of importance. And I bet, Katie, you're not a team of one in three years because I think CX will become one of the things that the industry really doubles down on. I hope so. It has been nice though to see it. There's been, you know, more and more titles out there coming across LinkedIn that have that customer experience in their title. Um, but going back to like maintenance, we know there are, un are unsung heroes and we host an entire month to celebrate them. But then we try to push that throughout the entire year because they are the backbone of our team, but they're mm -hmm. just, and they're the face. Yep. But at the same time, I feel like they don't get the appreciation that most of them deserve. 
Well, I hope you guys have an awesome rest of the conference and I appreciate both carving out some time to sit down with me. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was great.